British Columbia. An immense province abundant with vast mountain ranges, mighty rivers, and impressive wildlife. The true beauty of this land, though, shines out on the open road. In this episode, we explore British Columbia's northwest coast. Dominated by a temperate rainforest, it's part of five distinct ecoregions. Puget Lowland Forests, Central Pacific Coastal Forests, British Columbia Mainland Coastal Forests, Haida Gwaii Coastal Forests, and the Pacific Coastal Mountain Icefields and Tundra. By Car is a series that begins its journey in the Caribou region of BC at one of the five dealerships within the Caribou Auto Group and makes its way through rolling hills, snow-capped mountains, raging rivers, and sandy deserts. It's a spectacular adventure that can only be experienced by car. BC is Canada's westernmost province. From its island-dotted Pacific coast to the spectacular Rocky Mountain peaks, to hot, dry grassland, to moist and majestic coastal forest, BC spans almost 950,000 kilometers and encompasses Canada's greatest diversity of land and life. It truly is an outdoor enthusiast paradise. Today, we embark from West Line Ford in Vanderhoof to one of the world's deepest ice-free harbors and what's considered to be the wettest city in Canada. We begin our journey on a stretch of the four-province-long Yellowhead Highway that heads towards the Bulkley Valley. As is the case with all the beautiful areas in BC, the Bulkley Valley is a traditional territory of First Nations people whose culture lives on through the area. There aren't any major cities on this route, and to the average vacationer, it doesn't seem to provide many attractions. But this heart of British Columbia, the beautiful Bulkley and Skeena Valleys, remain cherished lands to the First Nation peoples who've lived here for countless generations. Those of us who are able to experience the area now appreciate all it has to offer. We next travel through the wilds of the great Nechaco Valley and make our way into the Lakes District, which includes the communities of Burns Lake and Fraser Lake. There are hundreds of lakes in this area, offering visitors exceptional and often remote fishing and hiking experiences and providing incredible views for admiring from behind the wheel. We're now 58 kilometers from Vanderhoof as we pull into the community of Fraser Lake, which is home to one of the largest lakes in the province, Francois Lake, which is a hugely popular recreation destination and a stone's throw from the second shortest river in the world, the 500 meter long Powell River. Within a 50-mile radius of Fraser Lake, we'll find over 160 lakes primed for the avid angler, with an abundance of trout, char, and salmon. Fraser Lake is also home to Canada's largest native waterfowl, the trumpeter swan. These impressive birds can stretch up to six feet in length and weigh more than 25 pounds. Fraser Lake sees the return of more than 1,000 trumpeter swans every year, making it the swan capital of the world. These numbers are good news because the existence of swans has been threatened over the years. Between the 1600s and 1800s, market hunters and feather collectors decimated trumpeter swan populations. Swan feathers adorned fashionable hats, women used swan skins as powder puffs, and the bird's long flight feathers were coveted for writing quills. It wasn't until the early 2000s that aggressive conservation measures were put into place, and then the number of trumpeter swans finally started to increase. Fraser Lake is also home to one of the world's most modern sawmills and the Andaco Mine, which was once the second largest molybdenum mine in the world. Molybdenum is used to make steel alloys to increase strength, 
hardness, and electrical conductivity, and it's resistant to corrosion. It's used in everything from planes to cars to bicycles. It will not be a Merry Christmas for hundreds in Fraser Lake. Indaco Mines, located just south of Fraser Lake, will be temporarily shutting down operations effective at the end of the year. The mine is owned primarily by Dompson Creek Metals and says weakening molybdenum prices and volatility are negatively affecting mine operations. The company plans to terminate roughly half the mine's salary. The mine never reopened. It operated from 1965 to 2015 before permanently closing because of lowering metal pricing. Time to get back on the road and head to our next stop, Burns Lake. Surrounded by nearly 5,000 kilometers of pristine shoreline and home to Canada's first International Mountain Biking Association Ride Center. In 2003, a couple of men who worked at the local school district and who were passionate about mountain biking decided they were going to turn Burns Lake into a world-class mountain bike destination and community. Pat Dubay and Kevin Dirksen started their dream with a $10,000 grant and turned it into a $2 million network of exciting trails. Biking enthusiasts come from all around to try the more than 60 miles of trails that spill off Boar Mountain and wind around nearby ridges. When the numbers have grown significantly like they have over the past few years, Everybody sees it. So we've had a community that's great and it's just rallied behind our club. Basically, the tourism economy has been changing quite drastically and uh, mountain biking's just been a huge part of that. And as it grows, I can really just see that, uh, you know, the town's gonna grow with it. The Midwest gets kind of forgotten on the scale of mountain biking and, and people don't realize that they can come to the Midwest and have world-class trail opportunities right here. But people are finding out and they're finding out quickly. With an IMBA classification, Burns Lake biking trails are recognized as offering an extensive variety of high quality rides and are considered a peak experience for the mountain biking community. The main mountain biking area is the Boar Mountain Recreation Site, over 4,000 hectares of crown land and home to the Big Pig Mountain Bike Festival, an event that was built by volunteers and now attracts riders from all over the province and North America. There are more fantastic mountain bike paths in a town another 143 kilometers west by car. Smithers was officially established in 1913 when the Grand Trunk Pacific Railway was built. But the area had been popular with fur traders since the first Europeans arrived in the mid-1800s. Sir Alfred Smithers, the chair of the railway at the time and the namesake of the community, wanted to build a town that benefited from the nearby railway by employing its residents and providing them with goods that made their way to them by train. For decades, the railway was the number one employer in Smithers, even though there was much more to appreciate about living there. Early settlers and more modern residents alike enjoy the area's fertile soil, mineral riches, and vast forests. In the 1950s, employee numbers of the railway gradually dwindled, and some of the previous enthusiastic buildings stalled. Yet to this day, the rail line continues to be an important transportation corridor for Smithers' economy. It's a town that is loved by those who visit for a day or those who have stayed for a lifetime. Because so many Dutch and Swiss families moved to Smithers after the Second World War, the town's buildings boast a Bavarian theme. 
In fact, Smithers has a bylaw in place which requires businesses in the downtown area to construct new buildings in an alpine style. To further celebrate the culture, a fiberglass statue of a man blowing an alpine horn greets us when we drive into town. Alpine Al has become both a mascot and town symbol. Local residents are called Smithereens, and they love the outdoors, so much so that over 600 of them flooded the village streets to oppose a coal bed methane gas field that would have negatively impacted local water and salmon populations. The same efforts were initiated when a proposal for a new molybdenum mine was introduced. After years of pushback, the project was eventually abandoned. The Alpine theme also fits in Smithers because there's world-class skiing available at the local Hudson's Bay Mountain Resort, named because of its close proximity to a ranch once owned by the Hudson's Bay Company. Quiet when compared with crowded resorts like Whistler on BC's West Coast, it's still considered a gem for those who love skiing and snowboarding because it features a variety of backcountry and groomed runs suitable for both beginners and pros. But no matter the mountain or the level of experience a skier has, avalanches are a real risk with life-altering consequences. Locals will never forget the November 27, 1991 avalanche that claimed the life of one of their own. Six members of the Smithers Volunteer Mountain Rescue Squad were on a routine training exercise at Hudson's Bay Mountain in an effort to brush up on their skills for the upcoming ski season. I was being tossed over and over and over. It was like being in a washing machine. I didn't know which way was up. I didn't know which way was down. I definitely thought that this is it. As the team ascended the mountain, an avalanche was triggered, carrying three of them 35 meters away and buried them under feet of snow. Frantically, those that had escaped the wall of snow attempted to dig out their friends and colleagues. Two of the three survived, and one person, Eric Paul Buss, tragically lost his life that day. Today, visitors and locals alike can visit a plaque that memorializes Eric in Twin Falls, just nine minutes outside of Smithers. The plaque reads, If you cannot understand that there is something in man which responds to the challenge of this mountain and goes out to meet it, that the struggle is the struggle of life itself upward and forever upward, then you won't see why we go. What we get from this adventure is just sheer joy. And joy is, after all, the end of life. We eat and make money to be able to enjoy life. That is what life means and what life is for. Back in the car, we continue along Highway 37, an incredible opportunity to witness the wilderness of Northern British Columbia, First Nations culture, and pioneering history. Our plan is to drive 328 more kilometers to arrive at the village of Stewart. On the way, we'll encounter the spectacular sight of glaciers and possibly roaming grizzly bear. Surrounded by majestic forest, the town of Stewart was founded in 1902 by John Stewart, a mineral exploration icon. Travelers flock to this town to experience the Salmon Glacier, the largest of its kind in North America. Even though the glacier is in BC, to get a glimpse of it, we have to drive through the American village of Hyder, Alaska. Although just a stone's throw from one another, there are stark differences between the two communities. Even with a population of only 500, 
the little town of Stewart has all the amenities of a big town, like grocery stores, hotels, restaurants, a museum, and quaint shops. While in Hyder, it's a completely different story. This is walking through Stewart in the evening, about 8 p.m. Awfully long days here, being so far north. This is one of the side streets. Everywhere we look, we see mountains. Crossing into Hyder can feel like you're crossing into an entirely different world. In Stewart, the roads are paved, while in Hyder, our smooth drive is interrupted by a gravel path beneath the tires. Here, rather than the heritage buildings of Stewart, we notice the structures are weathered and tin roofs rusted. Only a few dozen people call Hyder home, and they are so off the beaten path and far removed from the rest of the U.S. that they live life by their rules, away from the administration of the U.S. and the tax dollars at work. The only way to get to Hyder is through the town of Stewart, so Hyder is dependent on Stewart and has become a non-official Canadian town. Arriving in Hyder, we're greeted with a banner that reads, the friendliest ghost town in America. And a short distance on the gravel road brings us to the infamous Glacier Inn in Hyder, where it's customary to get Hyderized. Here are the rules of the Hyderization process. No smelling, no sipping or tasting. The Everclear shot, a shot of almost pure alcohol, has to be downed in one go. We are here today and we're gonna get Hyderized, which is a 150 proof shot um, that you can come here and get. And um, I'm a little nervous because I'm not really good at shots, so we'll see what happens. Let's go get hydrized. After taking the shot, the bartender flips the glass upside down in the bar and lights the drops of alcohol into a blue blaze. You get to walk away with a certificate to show everyone at home that you have, in fact, been hydrized. Because at 150 proof, you may not remember you did it. The journey to Stewart and Hyder, Alaska is an out-of-the-way adventure that not many people take when traveling towards the coast. To get back on track, we drive another 454 kilometers by car under the Alaska Panhandle along the Skeena River, home to over 5 million salmon. Finally, we arrive at Prince Rupert, known as the City of Rainbows. It's Canada's wettest city with 2,620 millimeters of annual precipitation. It rains on average 240 days every year. Most would find this to be a bit depressing, but for the Vivier family from South Africa, this was exactly what they'd been searching for. You see, several of their family members have a disease called cutaneous porphyria, which causes skin to swell, blister, and burn when exposed to the sun. They'd been forced to hide during the daylight in order to avoid exposure. So they scoured the internet for a place that could be described as the cloudiest place on earth. The result, Prince Rupert, British Columbia. In 1999, the family decided to make the move from South Africa to the northwest coast of BC. But once they arrived, federal immigration officials said they couldn't stay. It took 11 years and enduring support from the people of Prince Rupert for the family to be finally granted permanent resident status. Other than gray skies, Prince Rupert claims one of the deepest ice-free harbors in the world, the third busiest seaport in Canada, and the unique historical attraction, Cow Bay. The adventure aspect of BC and, and the wilderness is what really drew me to Prince Rupert. 
this trail's three or four minutes away from my house, so we're out here two or three nights a week uh, with the dog. Fishing, boating, camping, you know, right at your fingertips. And everything's just bigger in the north. Bigger rivers, bigger lakes, bigger mountains, bigger wildlife. Brittany moved in uh, across the street from me while we were in elementary yeah. school. Yeah. yeah, so we've known each other since then. I was going to school, working three jobs down in Victoria, and then I made my way back to Prince Rupert, intending only to stay for six months, maybe a year. There was employment opportunity for both my husband and I. Living here again and thinking about our life through a different lens, we realized that this was actually the perfect place. So I think we've been back for nine years now. We were able to buy a house and we're gonna start our family here. And it's great to be able to get together and have all the kids play and grow up together just like Monica and I did, I think is gonna be really special. At first glance, the bay's quaint shops, galleries, cafes, and the waterfront seems unassuming enough. But look closer and you'll notice that the lampposts, benches, garbage cans, and virtually anything else that doesn't move is painted to look like a cow. This is all because a boatload of dairy cows were shipped to Prince Rupert in the early 1900s, but there was no dock to unload them. So the sailors decided to push them into the water and urge them to swim to shore. Along with the weather and the quaint tourist sites, the drive west to Prince Rupert may include encounters with humpback, orca, and gray whales, feeding and playing in the sheltered northern inside passage. Along with whales, the area is home to porpoises, seals, sea lions, bald eagles, blue herons, and grizzly bear. In fact, the Prince Rupert region is home to the largest populations of grizzly bear on Earth. The six-hour drive from Vanderhoof to Prince Rupert includes a stunning backdrop of wildlife, wilderness, mountain vistas, and mighty ocean. It's an unforgettable journey by car. By Car is a presentation of Caribou Auto Group. We encourage you to get off the beaten path, explore the wonders of your local BC community, and connect with folks who live there. Our five dealerships are here to make sure your vehicle is up to the challenge. Visit caribouautogroup.com to contact one of our GM, Ford, or Toyota dealers. Thanks for listening.